Welcome to the Essential Tennis Podcast. If you love tennis and want to improve your game, this podcast is for you. Whether it's technique, strategy, equipment, or the mental game, tennis professional Ian Westerman is here to make you a better player. And now, here's Ian. Hi, and welcome to the Essential Tennis Podcast, your place for free, expert tennis instruction that can truly help you improve your game. Today's episode of the podcast is brought to you by Tennis Express. Please check them out this week by going to EssentialTennis.com slash Express. Thank you very much for joining me on this week's episode. I have an awesome interview with an expert on tennis parenting. So any of you who have kids that are taking tennis lessons, this is going to be a a no-brainer episode to listen to. But even if you don't have kids, many of the lessons that need to be learned that Frank talks to us about in today's interview are very, very applicable to all of us, not just those of us that have kids that are in tennis. So make sure that you listen to this interview. Now, before we get to the interview, I, I want to do something this holiday season that we did last year that I thought was just really cool and really special. I did uh, an, an ending to an episode last year where listeners of the Essential Tennis Podcast called in and gave a holiday greeting. That was simply their name, their location, and whatever holiday type greeting they would you know, like to just give to the audience of the Essential Tennis Podcast. So this is your chance to be a part of the show. This is your, your chance to, uh, to, you know, actually speak to everybody that listens to the podcast and just kind of give a warm season's greeting of whatever you would like to say. So just as an example, you know, myself, I would say, hey, this is Ian from Newmarket, Maryland. Just want to say Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. And whatever you celebrate, wherever you, you happen to live, I would love to have you participate. And this is gonna, I'm going to make it the, the full next episode of the podcast. So submit your season's greeting, please, sometime soon. The, uh, the number to call in order to do this, in order to participate, is 484-938-8255. Or you can get that number on the contact page at EssentialTennis.com. So call in, make your season's greeting. Can't wait to hear from you. And I'm really looking forward to putting together that season's greetings episode of the podcast in the near future. Probably sometime right around Christmas, I'll release that. So get in there and make your call. Okay, let's go ahead and get down to business. Sit back, relax, and get ready for some great tennis instruction. My guest today on the Essential Tennis Podcast is Frank Giampaolo. He is from TennisParentSolutions.com and also the author of The Tennis Parents Bible. Frank, thank you so much for spending some time with me to talk about today's topic, which is going to be all about tennis parents, which is a huge topic, and I'm, I'm really happy to have you on the show. Welcome. Hi, Ian. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. And um, yeah, I'd like to kind of maybe bang through some of the uh, top tennis parent blunders and, and how to avoid them. And uh, even some of the listeners that aren't tennis parents, I think they'll find this info valuable for their own game. Yeah, no, absolutely. I totally agree. And, and before we get into the uh, what Frank and I are going to be talking about are, are his top five tennis blunders, the, the top five mistakes that he sees tennis parents make with their, their children who are aspiring 
tennis stars. Before we get to the list, Frank, can you please tell us a little bit about yourself, your, your background in tennis, your background within this topic specifically? Yeah, sure. Um, I'm a 25-year industry veteran, um, USPTA Tennis Director of the Year. Um, I started my career at the Dick Brayden Tennis College. I directed his uh, schools. Um, started the Mental Emotional Tennis Workshops here in California in 2002. And um, since I kind of shifted away from just primary stroke development into more of mental and emotional development, my uh, students have won uh, 65 national singles titles. Um, Sam Query was one of my students, and uh, and also Vanya King, who won U.S. Open and Wimbledon doubles. So some of the uh, younger California kids kind of came through the program. Awesome. Well, men- mental toughness and those kind of topics have definitely been some of the most popular on my podcast. I've had several sports psychologists and, and that sort of thing. So it's a it's an area that my, my audience really, really enjoys a lot. And it's inter- inter- interesting to hear you say that when you started focusing more on that, you started seeing better results from your students. Just in a nutshell, what do you, why do you think that is? Well, after spending, you know, like you, seven, eight hours a day on a tennis court, uh, we find that most parents um, and players spend 100% of their time and money developing primary strokes, but yet the interesting thing is that they blame their lack of results on mental or emotional issues. So they would come back from a national tournament and say, you know, I, I, blew, I blew it. I couldn't close out a 5-2 lead. Uh, the girl cheated and I fell apart. Mm-hmm. Um, but I never would come home and say, you know, if I would follow through four inches higher on my backhand, I would have won the match. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't hear that. We heard all these mental and emotional issues. So, we decided to kind of expose those and, and find what I call protocols to, um, to handle those types of issues. Well, it sounds like we could definitely fill a whole show just with mental toughness type topics having to do with tennis. But let's, let's go ahead and switch gears a little bit and get right into the tennis parenting section of our talk, which is really why I have you on the show. I, I, it's actually a topic that has been requested in the past. And um, I was really happy when you contacted me, Frank, and agreed to be on the show because I think it's something that a lot of listeners are going to find very helpful. So, so let's go ahead and kick off your, your top five list. I'm really curious to see what's on your, your list of top five because as a teacher myself, uh, previously having you know, taught full time, there's so many pet peeves that I have that mm-hmm. tennis parents you know, kind of bring to the table. So I'm curious to see what made your list of top five. Let's let's start off with uh, whichever way you want, number one or number five. What do you think? Well, let's go. Um, let's go number one. Let's go right. Let's go right for the uh, the heavy dude right here. <laughs> Sounds good. Here, um, and here's one that kind of blew really blew me away. Um, we all lean towards a preferred learning style. Um, we accelerate quickest uh, by applying what we call uh, preferred intelligence. So. Once I started teaching based on the student's brain type and body type, uh, we found just tremendous, tremendous success. Hmm. Um, great example was a young gal that was ranked about 180 in California. Uh, she actually wanted to quit. She was getting to the point of burnout. Um, her coach was a European clay court player that demanded she hit 
300 balls from the baseline before she was allowed to take a swing volley or a volley or overhead. Well, it turns out that uh, this gal, Sarah, was um, brain typed a little bit different. She had the same wiring as uh, a Sampras. Hmm. So we did a brain type test on her, um, changed her complete um, mode of, of training, um, taught her how to use short angle patterns, moon ball approach to swing volleys. Uh, within one year, she went from uh, 180 in California to number one. Um, uh-huh. By the next year, she was number one in the 14s and 16s. And uh, uh, three and a half years later, she was playing at the U.S. Open, uh, the adult tournament. So uh-huh. she went from wanting to basically quit the game because it was boring. Um, <laughs> but the, I mean, the coach was terrific. But the only issue was the coach was demanding that all of his players played the style that he found success with, you know, back in his day. So, so how do you, how do you or, measure that exactly? Are, are we talking like Myers-Briggs type test or something different? Yeah, we can. Yeah, sure. Myers-Briggs would be a great example of the brain type side. And then the body type side is, you know, and, and you remember from it's just having players walk on the court, there's gross motor skill, dominant people and fine motor skill. And, sure. you know, gross motor skill folks are, are kind of wired to stay back and uncoil the large muscle groups and, and fine motor skills. They don't coil too much, but super quick hands. So usually pretty good quick hand servers and fast hands at the net. But um, back to the Myers-Briggs, yeah, um, let's kind of bang through that if you don't mind. Um, yeah, sure. So, so what so exactly? First, sorry. So, what exactly is the parent? So, the parenting mistake here is just ignoring these types of uh, categories when trying to find a, a coach. Yeah, that would be probably the biggest blunder. But it's even it's even bigger than tennis. It's on court and off court. It's hmm. um, it's family harmony. Um, a lot often, a lot of times, parents assume that the child is going to solve problems and handle details the same way that they did. And the parent would say, just do it right. Just do it the right way. But it's not the right way for that child. Maybe the right way is um, totally opposite um, for that child's brain type. And those parents out there that, that have, you know, two or three kids, they know that two kids can be wired exactly opposite. And uh, they had no say in the matter. So it's, uh, it's interesting for sure with the tennis parenting, but, um, Definitely on the tennis court, if, if players can be trained based on their genetic predisposition, um, they really excel quicker. Interesting. So, so let's go ahead and, and talk briefly about, you were going to uh, delve into uh, the Myers-Briggs, et cetera? Yeah, let's, let's touch upon it a little bit. Um, yeah. So the first category is introvert and extroverts. Um, and introverts are, you know, they kind of gain energy by alone time. They need a little bit of quiet time. Um, Extroverts love being around people and they can go to a party and come home, go to another party and text people all night from the party. And um, extroverts on the tennis court, they're great at paying attention to everything but their own match. So they know the score over on court 12. They know that somebody's cheating on court four. You know, a gal might know there's a, there's a cute guy over by the fence. Um, so their wandering mind is, is the greatest curse. So coaching real extroverts, um, it's a little bit more of the emotional or focused side. 
um, that, that causes them to, to fall apart in matches. Hmm. Um, the next category um, would be sensator intuitives and sensates are the type of people that are, they're wired to want facts. They, they use their, um, the six senses, who, what, where, why, when, and they kind of prefer to gather facts before they make a decision. Um, a great example may be, um, you know, a 16 year old sensate who's going to buy their first car might see a car drive by the street and go, well, that's interesting. I'm going to go home and Google it and look at the cylinders and the gas miles and, you know, uh, what color the interior comes in. But, but intuitives, they go by their gut. They just see that car and they go, man, I'm getting that in silver. <laughs> they don't even care what's under the hood. So, um, yeah, if you're teaching a sensate who prefers to gather all the facts before they make a decision, they're not really naturally wired to just charge net blindly. We have to really give them all the details, rationale as to mm-hmm. why it's in their best interest to spot somebody vulnerable and attack. And, and uh, for me, it's interesting, too, with picking doubles partners. Because, you know, we see it all the time at club level. They go, man, I, I'm playing with Martha back here, and she does not go to the net. Well, she might be wired to never go to the net. And if you, if you think you're going to get Martha to go to the net, it's not going to happen. So uh, you even want to maybe use brain typing to, you know, to pick doubles partners. Yeah, so, that's interesting. Um, you want to move on to the, the second two? Um, sure, yeah. All right, so thinker and feeler, the next two categories are brain types. And um, feelers, um, they kind of need to rehearse a protocol to handle cheaters and gamesmanship. Um, they're very sensitive people and feelers really, really fall apart when, when people are hooking them and cheating them in the, in the junior tennis wars. So establishing that type of protocol, what do we do? What are the steps you have to take? Um, how do you handle these emotional issues? Mm-hmm. Um, in the last category, judger perceiver, um, judges are very much inside the box. They love closure. If you're teaching a, a judger, if you have a judger child, they love to finish a project before they start a new project. And, uh, and those parents that have maybe perceiver um, children, perceiver gals, uh, they want to start a lot of projects. They love starting projects. But <laughs> perceivers aren't too jazzed about finishing. So if you're going to bake some cookies with a perceiver and you're the mom, be prepared to clean up because she's at it as soon as the cookies are done. Um, the perceivers are more, you know, big picture oriented. Um, if you're teaching more of a perceiver, um, they play on what I would call divine intervention. That means when they feel like it, they are great. They're on fire. They can beat almost anybody. But as soon as they get bored, Boy can blow, you know, five, two leads in a second. Um, sure. So when perceivers are being trained, what we want to try to do is, is, is employ negative scoring systems. So, for example, they have to get to 10, but it's minus one or minus two for every error. So they're accountable and they have to stay focused and finish the job. They have to finish every job on the practice court. So they kind of get wired to finish matches and finish sets because they're not great finishers. So anyway, that's a quick example of um, the 
first was a, you know, you want to really decide what brain type your child is. And go go to braintypes.com. My friend uh, John Neganow has a wonderful site on the uh, on the web, braintypes.com, if you're interested in, uh, in looking into that a little bit. So, so at the end of the day, how does a tennis parent tell what brain type their child is, and then exactly what do you recommend that they do with that information? Well, I definitely recommend sharing the information with the coaches. Mm-hmm. Um, I recommend um, doing some research, and um, also be aware that often with, with children, they'll actually say that they're a certain brain type that they're actually not Mm -hmm. because they might think an an, an extrovert is cooler than an introvert. Right. Right. Um, so as you get to know your, your, your children more and more, um, you'll be able to pick out these characteristics and, uh, the same thing with your spouses and your bosses at work. And, um, definitely it'll help you kind of just relate and deal with different people. Um, but I found that the best way to dive into it is to, um, just research it, Google it, and uh, and um, just check out braintypes.com would be a good uh, a good start for it. Okay, all right, great. Well, with with that, let's go ahead and move on to par- tennis parenting blunder number two. What is that on your list? Uh, number two is not having a organizational blueprint, hmm. having a <clears throat> basically having a map, and you know the old saying of a goal is. It's just a dream until we commit it to a plan. So the analogy I use often with the, with the uh, nationally ranked juniors we work with is um, <clears throat> if I'm going to take my keys in my car, give them to a 17-year-old and say, look, you've got to meet me in El Paso. We're going to be in a national event. We're meeting there. Here's the keys. Well, he'll eventually go from your house, and he'll get to El Paso. And it might take a week or two. They might make a bunch of wrong turns, but they'll eventually find it. Um, but having an organizational blueprint would be like having a navigational system in the car. So if I said, look, here's the keys, I'm plugging in the address to the club, just follow this map, follow the navigational system, and they definitely would get to the club um, with less stress, sure. a lot quicker. And... Um, so I do recommend that whole idea of uh, getting organized. And um, I think it starts maybe with organizing a player's uh, primary game plan and then their B and C game plan. So, for example, a listener might say, well, you know, my A plan, I'm a hard-hitting base finder. But then my B plan might be all-court net rusher, uh, my C plan retriever. Um, but to organize A, B, and C plans, and then the, the tough part for, for a lot of juniors and adults too, though, is to practice their B or C plans against lower ranked players. Hmm. So <clears throat> what I recommend highly is to play people worse than you with your B or C plans. Hmm. Um, so to win a big national title, you need more than one style of play. You've got to be able to um, often pit the type of stroke that the opponent hates to see versus just hitting the shots that you love to hit. Sure. Yeah. And, uh, that requires, you know, deep planning. So, um, you know, one of the, I guess, sub blunders of this parents and juniors make is they go, man, I only want to practice up. 
I only want to play people better than me. <laughs> I and can't, so I that can't stand like, that attitude. <laughs> yeah, it's a, isn't it a bad idea? Because now you just you can't you can't handle when you have to go to Plan B. You're you're toast. Right. And um, I'll give you a, a quick story about that. Is um, uh, when my daughter played, uh, she she played a pretty high level. She she won ten nationals and played the U.S. Open as well. But um, she was playing Barbara Rettner at the U.S. Open 2004, um, and my daughter uh, beat, uh, her name is Sarah also, but she beat uh, Barbara 6-4 in the first set. Barbara was a hard-hitting baseliner. Barbara got up at the start of the second set and was an all-court net rusher. I mean, old-school chip and charge, uh, some serve and volley. Uh, Sarah went up 4-1 in the second set, and I'm sitting there thinking, this is cool. Sarah could win a round at the Open and She's just 15, so it's pretty, pretty cool. Um, third set starts. Barbara gets up from the chair and starts moonballing everything as high as the light. <laughs> yeah, it's in front of 2,000 people. <laughs> by the second game, my daughter at 15, she goes, "God, I hate pushers." Uh. And she said it, and Barbara just turned, man. I looked at her, and guess what? Barbara did the rest of the match. Uh, obviously, yeah. <laughs> moonball. Yeah, now. Barbara won fifteen thousand eight hundred dollars. I still remember. It's, it was that seven years ago. I still remember. But um, but here's the classy thing. Barbara had a good A plan. It didn't work, but she didn't freak out. She just went to Plan B. And it, that didn't work, but she didn't freak out. She went to Plan C. Mm -hmm. She found the solution and took the match. So, man, that's part of really that's smart as of designing a organizational blueprint and, you know, protocol of how to get through these matches. So anyway, um, you know, there's the whole topic on that, but that's the second blunder. I, and, I, uh, I like how you use the phrase, but she didn't freak out. And I, I think, I think freak out is pretty accurate when it, not only when it comes to kids, but when it comes to even adult tennis players as well, when their, when their A game doesn't work, it's just like, well, I guess I'm not going to win today. And then it's just, you know, self-destruct uh, mode after that. Yeah, no, right on. Um, a great example, too, for all the adult players out there is spend time, in my opinion, developing all of your um, secondary strokes, not just your primary strokes. Mm -hmm. So um, the analogy that I use a little bit is like a, a painter. If anybody out there has... Uh, taking a paint set to paint. Um, we all can buy a primary paint set, you know, any, at, at most, you know, Staples or Walmart. And the primary paint's just one strip of black, blue, green, red. And if you're only painting with primaries, you're always going to be intermediate, average. Even if you're like 85 in an old folks home, your paintings are kind of crummy. But um, if you learn how to paint with secondary colors, now you don't just have one green, but you have like eight or nine versions of green. And your paintings look lifelike, real. You can even make money with some of these great paintings. And it's, it's one of the blunders, too, that even adults make. They, they don't work on their secondary strokes. So, uh, for example, when you work on volleys, it's not just standing at the net doing... You know, your, your primary traditional 
punch volleys. You got to work on swing volleys and half volleys and drop volleys. And so with every primary stroke, there's a subcategory of secondary strokes that you might want to develop. So right. that's a great blueprint. Yeah, great stuff, Frank. All right, well, with okay. that, let's let's go ahead and move on to number three. We got to keep things moving if we're going to get to all five. But but great stuff. Uh, thanks so much for for sharing this information. What, what what's number three on your list? Well, three is um, pre-match routines. Okay. For tennis parents, so I'll, we'll kind of I'll just bang through a couple of quick do's and don'ts um, protocol. Um, before matches, pre-matches, don't remind your child about how much money you've spent to get them there. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. how you know how they can't blow it because this is the best chance you've ever had. You're playing a top player, and this girl has won you know X and different tournaments, things like that. Um, it, it seems like such a no-brainer to to you and I being coaches. But how often do you see this from parents? Well, not all too often to tell you right, the truth. Exactly. <laughs> it's it's a common parental stressor is that. You know, they're in the match, and they really do deeply believe they're helping. Mm. But they're absolutely <laughs> sabotaging any chance the child has to play in peak performance. Because, you know, we know that a tennis parent role, they have to de-stress the child. Mm-hmm. But if the parent is massively stressed, you know, this is the most important match of the year. It's everything we've been working for. Don't blow it this time. Uh-huh. <laughs> Which is, you know, they say it all the time. Yeah, you're making me now, nervous just saying those things. <laughs> yeah, and the poor kid. And here's the sad part, though, when when they when they're driving home, guess who gets all the blame for the loss? Oh, the kid. And, <laughs> yeah, poor little Kelly yeah. gets all the blame when the the parent wound him up so tightly. There's no way, you know, they can ever perform. So, um, so do remind them. Do remind the child to review their match cheat sheets. Okay. So. We like to have players go to matches with notes in their bag. Maybe a note might be how to beat moonball pushers or how to beat hard-hitting baseliners. Um, and then be okay with pulling out your notes and reading your notes if, if you're falling apart. Um, so, of course, don't talk about the opponent's past success, mm-hmm. past rankings, mm-hmm. you know, all the reasons why they're, they're, they're too good to beat kind of thing. Their, their seed um, and where, it's all that kind of stuff. Yeah, in my book, it's all about keeping the child or the adult that's playing in the match, keep them in performance goal frame of mind, not outcome goal. Ah, yeah, we, we've so, heard a lot of that from uh, sports psychi- psychologists that have been uh, on the show previously. I, I'm glad to hear you say that. Yeah, that's a big one right, in my book. So do discuss things like the opponent's strokes, strikes, weaknesses, mm-hmm. style of play. Like you're playing Marsha, she's a hard-hitting baseliner. Here's her favorite patterns. Mm-hmm. She loves to do kickster wide on the ad. Her short ball option is a drop shot. So when you give her short balls, watch for the slice. You're going to get a lot of drop shots. So the parent is discussing performance goals, not outcome. Awesome. Um, last couple quick ones would be don't allow your player to mingle with other competitors or their parents before a match. Hmm. Okay. Because even though they appear to be your friend, they're going to sabotage you. So they're going to say things like, oh, man, you're playing right. You're playing Sally? <laughs> yeah. She's the best. She beat everybody that you know. Kind of get She's into the, the, rumor, uh, the rumor mill kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, exactly. Um, and do you remind them to go for you know short runs before the match or 
all their pre-match rituals and routines, which, you know, which is sports psychology, but sure. everybody needs those pre-match routines out there. So, yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. That's obviously applicable for, for parents, but I, I like how you are uh, kind of taking these things and, and making them also applicable to everybody. I mean, <laughs> the reason why people listen to, to this show is to get uh, information or, or tips, instructions on how to, how to play better. And these are all such good reminders, not, not just for our kids, those of us who have kids that are playing, but just for ourselves too. It's really solid stuff. No, thanks. No, thanks. Um, all right. Number four, blunder number four, all right? Being deceived that quantity of court time is quality court time. Hmm. So if you or your child cannot handle beating moonball pushers, going on the practice court and rallying hard cross court for 10 minutes and then rallying down the line for 10 minutes or having a coach feed a ball directly to your strike zone waist level. Um, that is never going to help you beat a moon ball pusher ever in your life. Hmm. So you are on the court. You are working on your primary waist level ground strokes. Um, but that's not really helping you with your personal problem. Sure. So, that's a big key for me that if the example is if, if you cannot beat moonball pushers, you got to start working on the patterns that are designed to beat pushers like short angle patterns or moonball approach to swing volleys and which are secondary strokes really. So, so the tennis, um, so the tennis parent, I would assume bears a lot of responsibility here as far as, if the coach is not super active going and watching the child, you know, compete, I would assume the parent then needs to communicate these kinds of things with the coach. Yeah. Great, great point. Um, and often the, the child won't because, it, you know, after a match, the child comes back and, and as a coach, we would say, Hey, Mark, how did you do? They go, I lost. What happened? <laughs> I don't know. Did you play well? I don't know. I don't want to talk about it. Yep. <laughs> but they don't even realize. So, or, um, or they'll give you a reason, and you watch the match, and their reason is like 180 degrees from what the actual <laughs> reason was. Right on. And um, we, I highly recommend having them do match logs, and um, which is all in the Tennis Parent Bible. All this We have, actually have the top 50 Tennis Parent Blunders. It's one of the chapters in the book. So I know we're just covering five right now, but it's all interesting stuff for me. Um, I really do recommend... Um, having parents videotape tournament matches. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that leads us right into the, the, the number five. Um, oh, can, I, can I ask you one, is, uh, one quick question yeah. before we get to five uh, on number sure. four? I'm curious what your thoughts are on how to split practice time up. I mean, is there a general generic ratio as far as... Because I know, I know that we don't want to... Um, Yes, it's important to work on weaknesses and shore up, you know, those areas where we don't perform well, but you don't want to ignore strengths either. So what kind of ratio do you typically recommend? You know, that's a great question, and I think it's just customized to to the player and it's also customized to periodization. And what I mean by that is how close is the player to a tournament? Mm-hmm. Um if they're within a week or two of a tournament, um I think it's huge to work on their strengths, work on their work on their best patterns, okay. gain confidence. Um, if they have three or four weeks before an event, now you can kind of like 
put the race car up on blocks and rebuild an engine. Sure. Um, but um, when you do it is critically important for me. Um, and also just the level of the player. So more of a beginner, intermediate player may need to focus on, you know, weaknesses a little bit if they're not playing tournaments. Um, the other side, though, for me is looking at the four causes um, of errors. So as you know, with charting a match, um, there are different reasons why people make unforced errors. So one would be stroke mechanics, poor mechanics on their strokes, but two would be shot selection. And, and at the higher tournament level, shot selection is the primary reason for unforced errors. Sure. Yeah. Um, and then movement, you know, spacing to the ball, that's a huge component or cause of error. And the last is more emotional or focused. So, um, okay. Understanding what causes their errors that might help a coach or a parent decide what to work on. Um, um, so for example, if their, if their primary cause of error is shot selection, I recommend not doing privates where a coach is feeding balls to him, but do a semi-private where two kids spar for two hours back to back. And the coach talked about shot selection. Sure. So. All right. Good stuff. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to, uh, to number five here on, on tennis parent blunders. Well, the, the last number five is the idea of um, the blunder is not shifting the focus away from primary strokes to the mental and the emotional um, issues of competing. Hmm. Um, so I think that's a, a huge issue that we kind of want, you know, the players to, once they develop pretty solid primary strokes, um, move to things like pattern development, which would be, you know, the X's and O's of the mental side. One of the things that might be interesting is a lot of players and parents are confused. Mental toughness, emotional toughness, uh, mental toughness is the X's and O's of spotting tendencies, running the best pattern, being in the right position to handle certain shots. It's part of the mental game, but the, the emotional toughness component would be, you know, things like focus control. Um, handling emotions with, you know, people that maybe cheat or closing out five, two leads or, sure. um, so from my side, I think it's important that parents, players, coaches, we kind of shift and we don't just work on just, you know, feeding balls right to somebody's strike zone, but we look at some of those issues. So that'd be number five. Okay. Well, yep. with that, Frank, I, I listen. There, there's so many other things I'd, I'd really like to talk to you about and and expand on on the the topics that we did cover. But I I don't want the show to run super super long, uh, so we're gonna stop right there. But I'd love to have you back on the show sometime if uh, if you'd be open to that. Yeah, Ian, anytime, anytime at all. And and you know, for your listeners, um, I'd like to offer uh, two free eBooks. Um, for anybody that's interested in, in the Tennis Parent Bible, um, how to attract a college tennis scholarship and the parent match chart collection. And they can get those two uh, ebooks free at um, through tennisparentsolution.com. Okay, so Tennis Parent Solution, uh, that's tennisparentsolutions, plural.com, correct? Yes, 
You got it. Thanks, Ian. Sure. So everybody go check that out. Frank, thank you so much for your time. I, I'm sure that my listeners are going to really enjoy our, our conversation. And there's all kinds of other <laughs> topics, even just having to do with parents. I, it's funny. I, I kind of made my own little list here of uh, in case we needed more things to talk about, which never happens. But uh, <laughs> and we actually didn't even uh, talk about any of those topics. So, so hopefully in the future I can have you back on and we'll talk a little bit more about this topic. But thanks for your time. I appreciate it. And, and best of luck with, uh, with your book and everything else, Frank. All right. Thanks so much. Talk to you soon. All right, that does it for episode number 198 of the Essential Tennis Podcast. Thank you so much for listening today. I appreciate it. And I hope that you found my interview with Frank to be interesting. I hope you got a lot of good information out of it. If you have any comments or questions about today's episode, please leave those by going to EssentialTennis.com slash podcast. Click on episode number 198 and let me know what you think. So until uh, the next episode, which is going to be the Season's Greetings episode, I'd love to hear your recorded Season's Greeting. And again, you can do that by simply calling 484-938-8255. Or you can get that number at any time at, at the contact page on EssentialTennis.com. So that, that's just a voicemail you know, feedback line. So when you call that, you're just going to get voicemail. Go ahead and leave your name, your location, and whatever season's greeting that you'd like to extend to the listeners of the Essential Tennis Podcast. And you've got just about two weeks to get those in before Christmas. And I'll probably release that episode right around Christmas. So look for that then. And I can't wait to hear from you and, and wherever you happen to live, whatever you happen to celebrate around this time of year, it'd be great to hear from you. So looking forward to those. And until next time, happy holidays to you and your family. And that's it. <laughs> Take care and good luck with your tennis. 